I am hosting a retreat in Tulum, Mexico, in paradise this October called Bloom in Tulum. It's a five-day, all-inclusive, personal and professional growth retreat for ambitious, big-hearted women who are ready to step into their power with grace, support, and confidence. So my two biz besties and I dreamed up this magical retreat over sushi a few months back, and after lots of planning, it's actually happening. We have mapped out a thoughtful itinerary with lots of downtime to make the most of this beautiful paradise beachside location and also set you up for a powerful and memorable experience of growth. There's only 20 spots available and all three of us are promoting it to our full community. So that's like over 50,000 people. So I imagine the spots will fill very quickly. If you are interested in joining us in Bloom and Tulum, go to bloomintulum.com for all the details and to complete your application. Also know that early bird pricing ends on June 30th. So it's a really good time to secure your spot and save some money. I mean, honestly, like how fun would it be to hang out in person at a gorgeous, luxurious, all-inclusive in October? So head to Bloom in Tulum. That's B-L-O-O-M in Tulum. T-U-L-U-M. Bloomintulum.com for all the details and complete your application. And I just felt stuck. And it was a it's a great metaphor for how I actually felt. I felt stuck in my life. I felt like I'm doing all these things and constantly busy, but I don't, I don't love what I'm doing. And I don't feel like what I'm doing is always meaningful. You're listening to the Mindful Mama podcast, episode number 176. Today, we're talking about going from striving for perfect to honestly authentic with Mary Laura Philpott. Welcome to the Mindful Mama podcast. Here, it's about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. At Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm your host, Hunter Clark Fields, Mindful Mama Mentor. I help smart, thoughtful parents stay calm so they can have strong, connected relationships with their children. I've been practicing mindfulness for over 20 years. I'm the creator of the Mindful Parenting course, now soon to be membership, and I'm the author of the upcoming new book, Raising Good Humans. So welcome back. So glad to connect again. I am just home from a wild and woolly 4th of July week with my family in Bristol, Rhode Island, crazy little town with a humongous 4th of July parade. Uh, They really, really celebrate it enormously. So I get really sad if I'm anywhere else and it doesn't really feel like 4th of July. But anyway, that's a little piece into my world. I am so excited for this conversation for you to join me in on today. Um, Mary Laura Philpott is an acclaimed essayist, a bookseller, an author of this debut memoir. I miss you when I blink, but like, this is such a wonderful book. I just ate it up. I love, love this book. And she talks about motherhood in such a real, authentic way. And, uh, you know, and it's kind of like her, like a lot of us, she thought that she'd kind of cracked the code, right? Always make the right choices and you'll always be happy. But the relentless mom life, the to-do list, all of that stuff, the driving everywhere. It didn't bring her contentment. It brought her a lot of anxiety. So we talk about in this conversation, we talk about how holding 
herself to that perfect standard left her struggling and how, you know, bit by bit, she moved herself to a better place of balance and authenticity. So I'm so excited for you to to join me at the table. As I talk to Mary Laura, you'll hear that there's no perfect way to parent and that doing the quote unquote right things according to our culture, it doesn't necessarily lead to happiness and that change. The hopeful thing, though, is that change is always possible and indeed, of course, It is the only thing we can count on. So I'm so excited for you to have this conversation with Mary Laura Philpott. She is wonderful. You're going to love her. And before we dive in, I want to thank people for the Apple podcast reviews. We could use a Stitcher review. We only have one. So if you're a Stitcher listener, please go leave me a review there if you like the podcast. And to support the podcast, please share it around. Share it with friends. Let other people know, take a screenshot, share it on Instagram and your stories or on on Facebook or just send it to your mom, maybe. Might be fun to have something to share, to listen to. But yeah, it makes a big, 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 big difference. And this is such an amazing tribe of people. We have 20,000 amazing people in this tribe. And so you have amazing company listening with you. So help support the podcast. That would be my heartfelt ask of you this week. Please, please, please do. And it makes a huge difference. Just that one little act makes big difference. So thank you so much in advance. And now on to this episode. Mary Laura, thanks so much for coming on the Mindful Mama podcast. Thank you for having me. This is fun. Yeah, I'm glad you got to be here. You know, so I took your book, I Miss You When I Blink. I took it camping. I oh. took it backpacking with me. So, Oh, wow. And it's a hardcover book, <laughs> but it, was, it wasn't so bad because I was backpacking with 12-year-olds. So our uh, the backpacking <laughs> portion of the trip was only a half a mile. Oh, so very nice. It wasn't, very nice. It wasn't <laughs> It wasn't too bad, but I really, really enjoyed it. It was. Oh, it, thank you. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, I really, really enjoyed it, and we'll t- we'll tell everyone about the book and and how to um, how to get it and stuff later. But uh, you know, it's interesting because it's a book of essays, right? And they're all these random stories, which I really. So I actually have to tell you that I did was laughing out loud during certain portions. Maybe we should just dive into that because at some. <laughs> At some point, like, so I'm, it was, um, we were in the, the tent on the second night, which is our last night. We're going to leave that morning and it's, you know, it starts, uh, it had started to like lightly rain and then like intense thunderstorms. Oh no. (laughs) Lightning (laughs) flashing around like our tent and my daughter who's 12 is like clutching me and, um, (laughs) good times, good times. times. And so I was reading that piece about, (laughs) how you have a way of like imagining an alternate universe you've made a deal for yes. this circumstance so can you tell the listener about that because that was so hilarious I read it to my 12 year old and she found it hilarious <laughs> that's great well first of all I'm happy the book got to go camping it's now been camping more than I have so that is wonderful <laughs> um, I'm glad it got to have that outdoorsy experience um Yeah. So that theory, it's just a theory that I apply to my life. It's sort of the sliding doors theory of perhaps the timeline I'm living now or the experience I'm going through now is the alternative that I got when I bargained with the universe 
to not have something else. So, you know, I'd kind of joke about it in the book, like, um, maybe if I'm, I'm in a dressing room mirror and I'm looking at myself trying on bathing suits and I'm like, oh, I'm so pasty and this is terrible. I think to myself, you know, maybe in an alternate timeline, I just had a perfect body and I was tan and I happened to be out jogging one day with my perfect tan body and I saw a truck about to hit some kittens and I said, Lord, take my tan and my boobs, save the cats. And that is why I'm this way now. And what a great bargain that was. And I'm so glad I have this instead of that. It's a, it can be a very silly way to get through life, but it can also be, and you know, I wrote about this in the book too. It can be a way to live through um, darker times and kind of hang on and go this, okay, what I'm going through right now is really hard, but it's not as bad as, and then just list everything you can think of that's worse and imagine, okay, maybe in an alternate timeline, I was about to have to go through this thing that was so much worse. And I made some kind of deal and I said, if I can just not have to do this terrible worst thing, I'll do X. And now I'm living X. And isn't that great that I got to live the better part of the bargain? I, I love that because it's like my husband at one point a long time ago made this contrast theory that everything in, enjoyable in life is about sort of contrast. And you're, yeah. what you're doing is like you're kind of making this, you know, you're using your thoughts because which in general, like our thoughts in a bad moment are kind of by nature, just kind of pulling us down into this negative spiral, right? And so you're just using the same thoughts, which are not necessarily true and not necessarily helpful anyway, and kind of going in the other direction of not necessarily true, but but actually helpful. And yeah. I, I think that's beautiful. Like it's like kind of making these, these fictions, but the, we're making fictions anyway. So you might as well Right, make these imaginative fictions that actually help you get that help get yeah. with equanimity. You know, yeah, I love that contrast theory. Tell tell him I agree. I think that's yes. that's cool. Yes, yes, which is why you should never watch TV shows about millionaires. <laughs> True. <laughs> you'll you'll by comparison you will you resent your your home. Yeah, comparison um, is terrible. Compare. I mean, comparison is why like. Instagram is so like fun and delightful and also miserable and torturous because for every great fun thing you see on Instagram, like, oh, there, my friend got a puppy or look at that baby bear eating a fish or whatever's happy on Instagram. There's, there's something that you can compare yourself to that's, that makes you feel like a real bummer. Like you might think you really got a lot done that day or you're, you know, your whatever, your podcast, your book, whatever has done really well. And then you scroll across and then there's somebody going, Oprah just picked my book to be the next <laughs> giant bestseller. And you're like, oh, I'm so terrible because Oprah didn't pick my book. <laughs> no. Yeah. 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 And it sounds like, so from your, from reading your story, you know, so you have, it's a series of essays, which are funny and also very poignant, but also it's, you, they kind of go through this sort of arc of your life and you describe how, you know, you're, you were very, you had this pressure that a lot of people have. And I, um, I just recently talked talk to Reshma Sajani who wrote Brave oh, yeah. Over Perfect. Yeah, Brave yeah. Not Perfect. And, um, you know, and, and I was like reading your story. I was like, oh my gosh, you know, Mary Laura got a lot of this perfect pressure, you know, applied to you, right? And, yeah. and you write how you felt like everything is your life and your life is a test to get, you know, the, the right job, the right parenting and things like that. So, mm-hmm. so you kind of look back and see the the development of this a need to achieve, right? Yep. Yep. Reshma 
I've heard her speak before and we're actually going to be speaking together. I think this fall at one of the women's conferences, I think it might be the Pennsylvania women's conference, oh, but cool. brave, not perfect is a great like book buddy for, I miss you when I blink. It's about a lot of the same stuff. But yeah, it's one of those things where I, I'm the type of person where I don't often know what I'm writing until I've written it. So mm-hmm. when I started writing this book, I was like, let's just see if I can write a pile of essays that can be a big enough pile that we can bind it and call it a book. And as I was writing what I thought were unrelated stories and moving them around and putting them in order, like you said, they sort of formed this narrative arc. And I was able to see, oh, look at all the times in my life when I have struggled or made myself miserable or been in a a tough spot where I thought, how did I get here and how can I get out? Again and again and again, it was because I was holding myself to some sort of perfect standard or trying to win or achieve or get an A plus on something that can't really be won or graded. And it started when I was little. And it goes on even now. I mean, this is not the kind of memoir where I start out and I go, oh, look, I have a terrible problem. And in the last chapter, I have solved it and I am a new person. I am still me. I have made some insights in what it is like to live this way. And I have learned to be more self-aware and learn to live with it. But I still now find myself in that wanting to get an A-plus mode, which is destructive to our peace and happiness. Yeah, because it seems like because the the whole perfection drive, it's always like, you know, if one is trying for perfection, like that means everything is never good enough. Right. (laughs) Nothing is ever good enough, right? Nothing's ever good enough. It's exhausting. And like Reshma writes about in her book, um, if you're trying for perfection and perfection is where you feel comfortable and what you're aiming for, you are demotivated to be brave and try new things because Mm -hmm. you don't want to do something you might not succeed at which is a terrible way to live. So I, you know, I have learned to sort of purposefully circumvent that and go, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to try the thing that is hard that I might fail. We are sponsored by Midi Health. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, vaginal dryness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. All of these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around perimenopause and menopause, and the experts at Midi Health understand what you're experiencing and how to help. Midi clinicians are menopause experts dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions. Midi Care is covered by insurance, and with Midi Health, you can stop pushing through it all alone. Schedule a virtual visit to discuss your symptoms and health background in depth. You'll come out of the experience feeling heard and with a plan to start feeling better. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Joinmidi.com. We are supported by Melon Headwear. These hats are perfect for Father's Day. They are built to be in and around water. They last five times longer than any other hat. They're naturally antimicrobial properties. It doesn't, sweat doesn't break down the hat. No sweat stains, no smell ever. It's built for the water. We tested it tubing on the Brandywine River and it was fabulous. It even floats when it drops in the water. It doesn't lose shape. It is amazing. An incredible, comfortable fit. 
Use code MINDFUL at checkout for 30% off your order. If you're trying to figure out a Father's Day gift, honestly, trust me, this is exactly what they want. Go to melon.com, that's M-E-L-I-N.com, and use the code MINDFUL at checkout for 30% off. Melon rarely offers discounts, so don't miss this opportunity. It is, I swear, the perfect Father's Day gift. Premium headwear, melon.com. Use the code mindful for 30% off. And you did, you know, you, you broke out and did new things, but I, it's interesting because you, you could see like the arc of this life. Like first you guys get a couple dogs and you have a house in the suburbs in Atlanta mm-hmm. and then you have kids and you're volunteering and you're like doing all these things. Like, you know, you leave your job and you're staying home with your kids. And so you're doing all these like, what a good, you know, quote unquote, good mom does. Right. And, you know, doing the right things. Right. And then you find yourself kind of in a place where you're like, wait a second, Mm -hmm. what's going on here? What's happening? Part of what I could see now that I was doing then when my kids were little and when I was sort of growing into adulthood was looking around at the people around me and going, what what is this life that everyone around me is excited about and happy about? And what are they doing? Oh, okay. They're doing this. So I need to, I need to do that and do the best at it. And so I would, it was almost like I was imitating people around me and people just a little bit older than me going, okay, so that's how to be a good 30 year old. I got it. All right. I'm going to do that. And it was well into my thirties that I started looking around and going, is something wrong with me if I'm not happy with this same set of circumstances and same daily existence that everyone around me is super happy about. And it took me, you know, I kind of had to hit rock bottom there, but it took me a long time to figure out, no, nothing is wrong with you. If you're not happy with what everyone else around you is happy with, you just need to make some choices for your own self that are not imitative of what everyone else is doing. Yeah. I looked at that and I saw it. It really was kind of like, you know, an arc from doing it right, doing all the things parents told you to, society told you to, doing all those things right, to moving towards authenticity, like to moving towards actually who am I and what do I like and things like that. But it sounds at the bottom, it sounds like, you know, you you wrote that you're craving solitude Mm -hmm. and you're wanted to escape from this sort of like mom life. So can you describe like, what was the mom life that you were struggling with? What were the parts that were um, that were challenging? I mean, it definitely seems like the the Atlanta uh, traffic was was part of that. <laughs> it was, it was. Um, and bear with me for just one second. I've just realized, speaking of things that are imperfect, that I've left the oven on this morning. <laughs> and my son has woken up to a kitchen filled with smoke. Did you turn the oven off, buddy? Thank you very much. Sorry, I burned your waffle. And your sausage. I love you. Make another breakfast. I'm going back to this podcast, okay? Anyway. <laughs> hey. Um, and for the listener, I'm, I'm following Mary Laura. She, she takes her laptop inside and gets the, house. the brief tour here. of the, the house. I'm sitting here having this wonderful conversation with you. And then I was like, why do I smell smoke? Oh, great. Um, speaking of perfection. But yeah, so Atlanta traffic, it's a funny thing. I tell people now, I live in Nashville, which is undergoing a massive boom. The growth is huge. Traffic is getting worse by the day. And everyone here is complaining about how terrible it is. And I keep saying, oh, you have no idea. <laughs> and I know it sounds crazy to say that traffic is part of why I would leave a city. 
But to me, the traffic in Atlanta became emblematic of the life that I was living. I was constantly in transit. I had, at the time when we moved away, I had two children who were big enough to have active social lives, lives, but not old enough to drive. So I had to drive them everywhere, which meant I was in the car all the time. I was constantly looking at the back end of other cars and I just felt stuck. And it was a, you know, it's a great metaphor for how I actually felt. I felt stuck in my life. I felt like I'm, I'm doing all these things and constantly busy, but I don't, I don't love what I'm doing. And I don't feel like what I'm doing is always meaningful. Some of it is. The time I spent with my family is very meaningful, but a lot of what I was doing wasn't meaningful. And I felt like I have to get, like literally I have to get out of here, as in I have to get away from this existence where all I do is sit on the highway. But then also I just, I need to be by myself and have a moment and maybe more than a moment, like a week or a month to just have silence and listen to the inside of my own brain and not traffic noise and people noise and my email constantly pinging and my phone constantly pinging and all the noise and craziness of the stuff that I had surrounded myself with, but which wasn't, which wasn't any longer really important to me. Are you a mom who wants to feel less stressed and enjoy motherhood more? Do you want to be calmer with your kids and be more present for all of your life? I'm a mom who has gone from really being stressed and yelling when my kids were young to be having a more grounded, more at ease relationship with life and having more enjoyable, cooperative relationships with my kids. And I've shown hundreds and thousands of women around the world how to do this. And I want to show you how to do it too. So if you are currently feeling stuck or stagnant, this is definitely for you. I've created a free downloadable Audible training, Mindfulness for Moms, the superpower you need. And it will show you how to respond rather than react, how to let go of stress and feel more grounded in seconds, how to have a smoother day today and become more present for your kids for a lifetime. To get on on this audio training absolutely free, simply visit the website www.mindfulmomguide.com. You know, I'm pausing here because I think that the listener, you know, probably many listeners can probably really relate to that, like this feeling of like, I'm doing all these things, I'm doing all these things for other people, mm-hmm. I'm stuck in this place. And and you wrote in your book, like, these are all things I chose, but I'm not finding meaning right now, you know, and I'm not yeah. finding. And so how do you, how do you do that? You, you take a break from mm-hmm. all of those things. And, and what, what I'm imagining though, is that many of us don't take a break. Many of us just mm-hmm. say, okay, this is how life is. Life yeah. is you know, life is surviving the day and I just keep going and I numb with my glasses of wine or my Netflix. Right. Um, but, but you made a different choice. So tell us about that choice. I mean, like you said, every, everything that was around me at this point where I was not happy was, they were all things I chose. You know, these were decisions I made where I was going to live, what I was going to do with my time. I got, there's a chapter in there that is, is funny, but it also illustrates something that was really hard for me, which was I got really into school volunteering because I thought that's what a good mom does. And I also thought that's what a good productive woman does. If I've given up my full-time job, which I had, I had switched to freelance writing 
Um, but I was no longer going into an office every day and like sitting in board meetings and stuff. I thought, you know, if I've given up that, I do have to be productive in some other way. So I, you know, it's up to me to plan the big fundraiser. I was doing all these things that I chose to do and some of which worked well for a while, but then I reached a point where they didn't. And like you said, when you reach a point where things aren't working, sometimes you, you feel this, it's a false dichotomy, but it's a dichotomy where you feel like you have two choices. You can either make it work and smile and dig in and just, you know, have your wine and your Netflix and go, well, this is the life I chose. I'm stuck with it forever and I just got to make the best of it. Or according to a lot of narratives out there, you can blow up your whole life and <laughs> leave your family and, you know, put on a backpack and go hiking for real and, and just get away from everything. And I didn't feel like I wanted to do that. I didn't feel like I wanted to do either of those things, which for a while kept me feeling very, very stuck. Um, but as I sort of crept closer to change in smaller ways and started allowing myself to do things like quit commitments that weren't working for me or, um, you know, after I came up to Nashville and spent a summer here with friends I looked around the city and said, you know what? There's a lot about this city that works much better than where I live right now. What if I could conceive of a future where my family life is the same and a lot of things about my life are the same, but the location is different. And maybe I come up with a different professional scenario. What if I could change pieces of my life instead of the whole thing and get it to work better? But it was definitely a process. I mean, but, you know, as you've read, it was a, a multi-year process of experimentation. At one point you like had this conversation with your husband saying, like, kind of what I want to go away. Mm -hmm. And what I, I love what you did there, because you, um, it, you know, and, and there are a couple things I want to tease out of that, because a you didn't, you know, you or at least you didn't then or at least you had stopped blaming yourself for how you were feeling. And mm -hmm. I think this was, for me, a, a, a beautiful insight to see because so many people say, I'm unhappy. It's because there's something wrong with me and it's mm -hmm. my fault. You mm -hmm. know, so these are, this, these are the kind of the ways that humans naturally shoot this sort of second arrow at themselves, right? Is like, this is, and so there's something wrong with me. At least at that point, you didn't do that. You looked around and you were, said, okay, there's something wrong here. There's yeah. the part, the, this, the environment, the situation, all of these things are not adding up to pieces and I want to get out. You know, you had this feeling of like, I need to get out. I want to get out. And so you had a conversation and it sounds like your, your husband's wonderful and you guys figured out a way for you to go take, you, you had like a little Mary Laura mind retreat. Yeah. <laughs> personal, personal retreat. <laughs> uh, tell us about the, the little retreat you did. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, you know, you you say I I had moved on from blaming myself, and I was looking at maybe it's the situation, but it really it was kind of both. Like I was starting to go, okay, something's not right in this situation, and maybe I can change it. But I was still thinking something is wrong with me, which is why I wasn't talking about this very much, which is why I was feeling very lonely. And loneliness, as you know, compounds every problem. Anytime you have a problem and you think you're the only one who is broken, mm -hmm. it's worse. Mm -hmm. um, so both of those things were happening. But one of the really revelatory conversations for me that that summer, and what happened was my kids went away to camp and I had a period of time. Summer was at that time not a very busy time for me in my freelance work. 
And so I had some time on my hands and I called my friend who lives in Nashville and I said, hey, I, what if I came up and visited you? Do you have anybody who has a, has a little space? And she had a friend who needed to get away from her life, but who had this elderly cat that she couldn't board at the kennel. And so she had a friend who needed a house sitter basically. And so I had a free place to live um, for a period of weeks. And so I came up here to Nashville and this conversation happened one night and it sounds so silly and small. I write about this in the book, but it was really eye-opening for me. The same friend that I called to say, hey, do you have anybody with a place I could stay? She and I were sitting um, out on the porch one night having a glass of wine and and she um, she worked in a bookstore and she said, you know, I think I want to get your help writing an email. I want to write to my boss and apply for a job as the um, evening shift assistant manager. I, I really, I'm more of a night person. I like working in the evenings. I don't like getting up in the morning. And you know, evenings are tough in our house because homework is terrible, which, you know, I was like, amen. I hate homework time. It's awful. And she said, my husband is really good with like school pickups and homework and dinner time. And I'm horrible at it. And I was just thinking, you know, what if I worked at night and he took over the night shift and I did daytime stuff. And it was such a little small, like logistical thing she was working through, but fireworks were going off in my brain. And I was going, wait, you can just make a, you can just make a change like that. Like, look how self-aware she is. She has figured out some small logistical thing in her life that isn't working. And she is working toward a change to make it work better. I could do that, you know? And it was such a small conversation and such a small thing, but it's the kind of conversation that was starting to happen more and more among my friends. We were all sort of late thirties at that point. Our kids were not teeny tiny babies anymore. And a lot of us were starting to question how we spent our time and if we could spend it differently. And people were starting to do things like apply to go back to school or make a career change or, you know, a couple people were getting divorced. A couple people were thinking about having another baby. It was a, really kind of a prime time for reinvention for a lot of us. And so that, that summer where I, I spent time with that friend and some other friends was just eye-opening in, in the most mundane ways, but ways that turned out to be really life-changing. Hello, you sentient ball of stardust. My name is Casey Davis. I'm a therapist and I'm an author of the book, How to Keep House While Drowning, where I talk about ways to make it a little bit easier to take care of yourself when you're overwhelmed, stressed, have mental health issues, physical health issues, or maybe you're just in a hard season of life. Maybe you're looking for a place that you can come and listen to some practical advice. This is a podcast for all of the self-help rejects. We're going to talk about skills for survival and self-kindness. And I'm going to leave the pop psychology at the door. I promise not to tell you to meditate or to journal. We're just going to give you some really insightful conversations with hopefully some practical advice. So I don't believe you need to pick yourself up by the bootstraps. I don't want you to just try harder, and I don't believe that laziness exists. So join me over on Struggle Care, where we can find compassionate solutions that help us function a little bit better. Lynn, this time of year, parenting can be such a fluster clucks. You've come to the right place. 
I'm Lynn Lyons, and I've been treating anxious families for over 30 years. I'm Lynn's sister-in-law and co-host Robin Hudson. Join us for Fluster Clucks, a podcast for parents who worry. Wait, that's everybody. Yeah, these last few years have felt like one long anxiety attack for so many. Why do you think parents are always surprised that a podcast about anxiety relates to them, even if no one in their house has an anxiety disorder? Well, worry is human. Everyone does it. And anxiety shows up when we face uncertainty. All the parenting tips you've taught me have been essential. I love to break it down into skills we need to manage worry in our families. We've covered so many topics, depression, burnout, meltdowns, perfectionism. Don't forget scary mothers-in-law. Right, but of course that's not my mother-in-law. Because that's my mother. And a listener. As a psychotherapist, I like to teach parents and kids how to respond to everyday moments in healthy ways. Managing anxiety really can be taught. It really can. And I'll even tell you what to say. We talk about serious stuff, but without being too serious. Anxiety wants everything serious. Anxiety doesn't stand a chance when we're laughing, even about the tough stuff. That's cool. I love that this this sort of small changes that your friend gave you permission, you know, implicit permission that you could do the same. So dear listener, I hope that you are listening (laughs) and saying, oh, look at that. Mary Mary Laura can go take herself on a retreat and (laughs) take a break from her city and town. Maybe I can too. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I think that's so cool. Um, I loved, I love that sounds like there was, you know, you write about this, you, there was this period of, uh, of be, of momming that was just like, so, uh, like, I don't know, just grinding in some ways. Like you, you described this dinner party you had, like, you're so excited to like, go out with your friends. And, um, I just, it's so, it, it's so, you know, you write about, um, the conversation they were having and how frustrated you were with the conversation. And I, I'm, I would love it if you could describe that. And then I'm, I'm wondering if you've seen, you know, cause you say, I don't believe that you're like, like you care about anything else and women are boring when they have children. So I'm, I'm curious if your thinking has shifted since then too. So, but if you could describe what happened. Yeah. So that's so funny. So this is, um, I love that you mentioned that it's, one scene with within one essay in this memoir, and it has come up, I think, in every interview I've done. It comes up at every event. People. So what happened is I got invited to this dinner party, the casual friends of friends kind of thing. I didn't actually know very many people at that table very well, but I knew, like, I had one good friend who had invited me, and I kind of knew everybody. And we had all lived in the same part of town for several years, so like some of us used to work together or, you know, these are people I used to see in the airport or in coffee shops. I was aware of all these people. Um, But what had brought us together over dinner was the fact that we all had children in preschool at the same time. And I was really excited. You know, those preschool years are tough. They're just like really mentally and emotionally and physically demanding. I was really excited to get out for the evening, sit around a table with adults and talk about anything other than kids and school and domestic life. I just was thrilled to get away from all that. And we sit down at this dinner and the hostess has made chicken salad and the conversation turns to chicken salad and stays there forever. And it, <laughs> it's, a, it's a comic scene in the book because I sort of detail the conversation where people are like, so tell me, do you cut the grapes into quarters? How do you do it? And, but it, it was driving me insane. I was sitting at that table going, 
I'm going to walk out in the street and run myself over with a car. I can't believe we have two hours away from our families right now. And this is what we're talking about. This is, this is killing me. I, and, and then I got really mad. Like by the time I got home and I was saying goodnight to my husband, I got really mad because I was angry at the thoughts I was having. I was sitting at that table going, is everybody at this table talking about chicken salad because they have kids? Is this what happens to women that, you know, you have kids and suddenly you can't talk about the news. You can't talk about music. You can't talk about art. You have to talk about cooking. And I was angry because I don't actually believe that. I don't believe that's what happens to women. And and in fact, if anyone had ever said that to me at the time, like, you know, women get boring once they have kids, I would have punched them in the face because I don't believe that. But it was what I was seeing at this table and it was just causing me the greatest rage. And what has just tickled me to pieces is that since the book has come out, it comes up, that scene comes up everywhere I go. And people keep sending me on social media, like, direct messaging me pictures of chicken salad. Like <laughs> they take a picture of their lunch and they send it and they're like, just wanted you to know I'm having chicken salad. Love that scene. It's, it has, it has come to be called the chicken salad incident. Like that's what people call it on Twitter. It just, it tickles me to pieces. And so apparently that is a relatable experience. Yes. I have been in a situation where I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, this yeah. is what we are talking about. Like, let's stop talking about our kids. I'm so tired of talking about our kids. Right, like, right. Enough and I, already. Yeah. And I or get whatever. it. Like when you're in that phase of life, you do need to sort of reach out for a life raft to other people who are in it and, and ask about the daily stuff. Like go, okay, mm-hmm. how do you fit three car seats across the backseat of a car? It's not physically possible. You have to talk to other people to learn how to do that stuff. Mm-hmm. I totally get it. But at that time of my life, I felt like I needed genuine, deep connection on non-motherhood things really, really badly but every time I had a moment for a connection, it was turning to small talk and mm-hmm. it was just making me nuts. Yeah. Yeah. I can, I can relate to the impatience of small talk and impatience is like a real yeah. so- soft word for it there. And you write beautifully about parenting and there's uh, this one, uh, one piece place you write about parenting that I want to just share with the reader, if you don't mind. Yeah. It must be cool to have someone read your words back to you, actually. <laughs> um, what a job to raise someone from birth to adulthood, bestowing upon them your knowledge and your values, and despite your best intentions, any number of traits you've inherited yourself. What a loaded task to make every move every day in such a way that the impossible larva impression person, larva person in your home will see your example, process it into something within herself and grow layers of muscle and soul over it until she is a fully developed human being. And all the while, the little person you're nurturing is fighting you, spitting out the broccoli, not wearing the helmet, rolling her eyes at you carefully when your carefully chosen words of advice, and you become constantly worn down even as you pour your energies into loving her. I yep. love that. That's from, that's from the essay called Wonder Woman, which is, it, it happens early in the book. And it's where I sort of experiment with the idea of going, can I blame everything that is wrong with me or everything that I perceive as being wrong with me on my parents? Like, could I go, everything I hate about myself is actually my mom's fault. And here's why she turned me into this baby perfectionist. And that is why I have all these problems. Now, um, I write that essay two ways. I, I tell the story 
I tell a story from my childhood once and I get to the end and I say, so therefore everything that's wrong with me is my mother's fault. And then I say, or everything I love about myself and everything that's good about me is to my mother's credit. And I tell the story again, a different way. And then at that part that you just read, I get to the end and go, actually it's, it's both of those things. And it's neither of those things because there is no way to parent perfectly. And there is no way, except in the most extreme cases to say everything about me came from my parents and is their fault or to their credit. Yeah. Yeah. I love that, that, you know, that message that there's no way to parent perfectly. And I appreciate the multiple perspectives that you put into this. It's interesting because Mary Laura, you paint this picture of yourself as this like, um, kind of like suburban housewife, like volunteering for the things and, you know, you're blonde and pretty, but you've got this like wild creative streak that I really appreciate. <laughs> and I, I, think, I think the hair is deceptive. <laughs> radio interview once right after the book came out and the, the host was like, I'm looking at your author picture and you're blonde and you have really good makeup. And I just don't know if this is the same person who wrote this this book because this book has got some really dark stuff in it, and you, you went through some really messed up times. And I was like, yeah, but I could still do hair, so you know, we contain multitudes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I could at least do it for a picture. <laughs> yeah, it it really it does have all these different aspects to it. This you know, this fun, and I I really appreciate the mix of like the funniness and the dark. You know, not being afraid to look at the shadow. Um, but also seeing it with a, a sense of humor. And, you know, it sounds like, sounds like as you kind of took this journey, right, from everything having to be right, everything to having to be right, even in your work, right, weren't you like edit, doing some editing work, right? Like that's yes. kind of like making yes. things right. And, yeah. now, and then <laughs> moving towards this like authenticity, right? Like who I am in this creative expression with this writing, so where are things now as far as you see you comparing kind of where your your life is and 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 I'm just curious about also you know you're are you making more time now for creativity or you know how are things different as far as like how you're allotting your time in your life yeah i'm i mean i'm still me and i still lean very hard toward wanting to get the gold star in everything i do so i have a natural tendency to overcommit across the board in everything, but I am far more self-aware now than I was a decade ago. So I can see myself, you know, reaching for the keyboard to reply yes to everything that I am asked to do. And I can stop myself and go, you know, that does not make you happy. <laughs> Saying yes to every single thing is not good. Um, I try to take a more careful approach to where I give my time. Um, I'm still juggling a lot. I do still do some work for um, Parnassus Books as a bookstore here in Nashville where I've, for the past five years, have been working full-time running a website there called Musing, which is our digital magazine. And I'm trying to figure out how that's going to look in the future. Like, I, I don't think I can keep running that site and try to write another book and do speaking engagements, which I've just started doing and which are really fun and spend time with my children who are now teenagers. And, you know, one of whom I've only got two more or a year and a half with left before he leaves the nest. Um, I do have to protect my time. So I'm, I'm actually in a phase right now where I'm trying to move the puzzle pieces around a little bit and, 
and protect my writing time and my family time and not do too much. But it's always in flux. I, I've never reached a point where I'm like, aha, aha, perfect, perfect balance. I don't know. I don't know anyone who has. <laughs> yeah. Well, balance is always some kind of wobble between right. one side or the other. If you ever try to do right. tree pose in yoga, you know, the, <laughs> that foot is wobbling all over the place. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And I'm, you know, I'm at this point, as of the moment we're having this conversation, I'm two months out from the book coming out. And I know the, the book is still a baby. Like it is still just beginning to reach the people it's going to reach and find its readers. But I am already starting to get the question, not just from other people, but within myself, well, what are you going to do next? What will the next book be? And so that's making me anxious. I was going to say, I, does, doesn't that feel like, so I just, you know, I'm in the process of like, I just finished my book and all these things. And, and some, that question has vaguely barely come up, but I kind of feel like it's like, literally like it's kind of like if someone asking you that now is literally like asking somebody who just two weeks ago had a literal baby out (laughs) of her vagina and saying so when's your next baby (laughs) you know like that's so frustrating yeah it is and I can't like I'm in this like magical thinking phase where I'm like why can't this book just write the next book I wrote this one now 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 just can it self-propagate and write the next one and yet that is not how it works. I do, I, I think it's an unrealistic pressure to put on ourselves when we create something or we do something and then immediately we're like, what are we going to do next? But at the same time, I know that it can be a really healthy coping mechanism to have something next to shift your attention to so that you don't obsess over this thing. Like it would be awesome to sit down and spend my time writing other things right now instead of getting up and going, I wonder how the book is doing. Did more people read it? Have, you know, what, who, who's put it on Instagram today? So I get why it actually is a great thing to have another project ready to roll, mm-hmm. ready to work mm-hmm. on. Mm-hmm. I just, it, ha- I, it hasn't happened yet. I don't know when or how it will, but I hope it does. So I'm anxious about that right now. So um, how, do you, how do you fit in pieces that... Um, you know, like that ground you, like you talked about your, 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 your walks in the woods and those pieces. How do you, for, for someone who's saying, wow, Mary Laura was like, you know, was, was, you know, in the trenches with me raising these little kids. And then she, she got this, she started doing this creative work and is doing these things. Right. And they want to know, well, how exactly, how do you do that? How does that look? Yeah. So just, it, I mean, I think it's different for everybody. I write about it a little bit in the book, kind of how it worked for me. And of the things that I know that make me feel good and that I enjoy doing, one is being outside. So I do, I spend a good bit of time outside, not in like a hiking, camping, tough way, just in like I put on tennis shoes and I walk down my street and I say hi to the cows and donkeys that live at the end of my street. Um, I do that. I... I know that I find peace when I am productive and I wish I were not so hardcore that way, but I know that about me. So I've tried to structure my life such that in the mornings, once I get everybody off to wherever they need to be, there's something, there's something that I've committed to that I can do in a short period of time and check it off, whether that's a piece of work for the bookstore or, um, you know, I have three friends today who have books coming out and I'm going to tweet about each one of those books. Okay, check that off. I've done something productive and good for the universe. And then I have a chunk of time where I work on something more 
amorphous, like a book project or a writing project, or I struggle with an essay. I try to kind of fit that struggly part into the middle of the day so that I've done something productive before it and I've done something productive after it. <laughs> and I don't end my day going, oh, I deleted everything I wrote today. I have nothing to show for myself. It's a constant retweaking of, of priorities and Is how I spend time. A, a, a type A person's way of finding peace. Right. Totally. <laughs> Well, I really, I really, really enjoyed the book. Like I said, it was hardcover and I still took it camping with me, hiking with me. (laughs) (laughs) And, and I did, I did laugh quite a bit um, at the book out loud, which uh, always makes me happy to find something I can read and have it, have it laugh out loud. And I will pass it on to my friends as well. Yeah. So where can people find out more about you and find out about the book? Yeah, the book is anywhere you buy books. Which is called, I Miss You When I Blink. I think we've just been saying the book. Oh, the book, yes. (laughs) Important note, it's called I Miss You When I Blink, and it is by me, Mary Laura Philpott. (laughs) Get it anywhere you get books. Um, If you have a local independent bookstore near you that you love, that's a great way to do it. You can um, follow me on Twitter or Instagram. I do have an author Facebook page as well. I don't use that quite as much, but it's there. And uh, I have a website, Mary Laura Philpott. Dot com and there um, there's an events page there where additional book tour dates are added periodically. So if you want to check and see if maybe I'm coming somewhere nearby, that's where to look. That sounds good. Well, Mary Laura, I I appreciate um, I really appreciate your your honesty and your your work because I know that there's a lot of work going into this and. And your um, the way you opened yourself up, but with all this, um, you know, with this beautiful vulnerability, but also all this humor. Um, so I, I, I just want to thank you for what you put out into the world. It's really wonderful, and thank you for coming on the Mindful Mama podcast. Well, thank you, Hunter. This was fun. I appreciate the work you do too, and thank you for bearing with me while I tried to burn my house down in the middle. Of the, <laughs> the house is still standing, everyone. The it's house all good. is good. <laughs> Hey, thank you so much for listening. I love Mary Laura. I hope you did too. She has so much to offer. We can't get that message enough that we can't do this perfectly. Perfectly is not an option. And I think as women, we are so trained to this stupid, perfect thing. It just drives me bananas. Crazy. Um, so, so. If you like this episode, please, please share it around, share it with your friends, leave a review. Make sure, of course, you are subscribed so you get every episode in downloaded on your phone or wherever you listen. And um, yeah, if you have thoughts, you have questions, you can always email me at hunter at mentor.com. I love to hear from you. And I'm wishing you a beautiful week. I'm wishing you, a, I hope this podcast has opened up some, some, you know, insights for you and some offered you some perspective on your week that will help you. Okay. Wishing you a great week. Namaste. Hello, you sentient ball of stardust. My name is Casey Davis. I'm a therapist and I'm an author of the book, How to Keep House While Drowning, where I talk about ways to make it a little bit easier to take care of yourself when you're overwhelmed, stressed, have mental health issues, physical health issues, or maybe you're just in a hard season of life. 
Maybe you're looking for a place that you can come and listen to some practical advice. This is a podcast for all of the self-help rejects. We're going to talk about skills for survival and self-kindness. And I'm going to leave the pop psychology at the door. I promise not to tell you to meditate or to journal. We're just going to give you some really insightful conversations with hopefully some practical advice. So I don't believe you need to pick yourself up by the bootstraps. I don't want you to just try harder, and I don't believe that laziness exists. So join me over on Struggle Care, where we can find compassionate solutions that help us function a little bit better.